0: this. Is the cable. Big bid on 10 year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in. Why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market
1: action. A significant sell off in European assets. The
0: dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to the cable live across across the capital on DAB digital radio it has just gone 5 p.m. alongside guy johnson i'm jonathan farrow the clocks have changed and all is right with the world guy it does feel that way doesn't it it was a 3 weeks
1: of um, discombobulation i guess is the word nobody could quite get their sort of heads around why new york and London were four hours apart. It
2: did cause quite a lot of
1: confusion. Charlie Pellet, though is a man that would never have been confused by such things would you Charlie? No
2: I'm not I, and I am back happy to be back. Jonathan Farrow's in the studio. You're in London working as much as ever. Brexit never ends. Here's what's going on. Let's begin with some of the top stories. The UK's faltering attempt to exit the European Union. hurting demand for air travel just as the busy summer season gets underway. EasyJet dropping the most in more than two years. after. After warning, the crucial holiday months will be weaker than expected as low-cost airlines feel the brunt of the UK's political crisis over Brexit and waning consumer demand. Right now, we've got shares of EasyJet, uh, the ticker there, EZJ, down by 9.7%. Electric vehicles now account for more than half of Norway's car sales in March, making history in the country following record registrations of Tesla's Model 3. Per-inhabitant Norway already boasts more electric cars than any place on Earth, thanks to generous incentives. And Lyft shares in the United States, uh, very much like Uber, Trading now lower than the IPO price. It has been the highest profile stock sale so far in the United States. Didn't take long for the doubters to show up in the equity market. Stock went public last Friday at $72 a share right now. Lyft is down 11.3% on this back to work Monday, 69.49. That is the latest from the News Desk. And uh, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Charlie, thank you. Good to see you again. It's nice to have everybody back together again, and as you said at the Open, all
0: because of the time difference. And great to be back with Guy Johnson too. Guy, I've missed you.
1: I find that hard to believe.
0: I have. Three weeks. (laughs) I've missed you.
1: It has been a surprisingly long time. I have to say, this show definitely works better with two rather than one. (laughs) <laughs> um, the transatlantic kind of uh, vibe definitely works you better. You need the other side of the currency pair, you do. don't you? You really do. You do. The cable is the cable is not just the pound, it is also the dollar. Um, I've got a genuine question for you, John. So we've been away for three weeks. Um, in that time, Brexit has become much more granular, and it's really kind of getting into the weeds now. My question to you is, over there in New York has everybody completely kind of lost interest because of this level of granularity? It's just getting like it's getting too much for everybody over here to get their arms around, let alone over there.
0: I think a lot of people became detached from this a long time ago because they felt like it wasn't a big story for global markets. And something you and I have gone back and forth on many, many times is that it was a global story for a little while. It was a European story for a a little while longer than it was a, uh, a local story for the rest of the time over the last two years. To your point, Guy, it has got so complex now that even if you're interested in the theatre of Brexit, <sighs> yep. the last two weeks, it's been a struggle to even enjoy the theatre of it all. Uh, so, because it what, has become so complex.
1: What is interesting is that news program viewing figures have gone up in this country. Because interesting. People, so people have. Uh, I, I think it could be the theatre, as you as you say, but I think your point is a is a well made one. I think people have kind of of. Uh, have become quite detached from this. Certainly global investors have become quite detached from this. And I'm just and I'm still wondering whether that's the right decision. I still think it's a debate that is worth having. Marcus Ashworth joins us now from Bloomberg Opinion. Marcus, I'm going to I'm going to cut We can get into the granularity of Brexit in just a moment. But first up, so we saw a another week German PMI print today. And a lot of people blame what is happening in Germany at the moment on what is happening in China. So my question to you is, is that the correct assumption, or is Brexit playing a part in what is happening in Germany right
3: well, now? Well, I mean, not to, not to be too silly, but um, look at the UK PMI, which so magnificent jump up because of st- stocking of inventories uh, yeah. because of Brexit. So, no, um, the reason why UK is going up and then perhaps Germany is going down is because uh, I think principally it is for China uh, in the sense that We can't blame Dieselgate or the lower level, the Rhine, um, as much as we could before. It certainly seems to be there's a lack of follow-through of orders, and that's principally coming from... I mean, China is is a catch-all, but in in essence, that's where a lot of their export orders are coming from. And we're seeing it not just in um, Germany, but also in in Italy and in in France. So this this has got uh, a further, wider impact. So... In essence, yes. I mean, because there's nothing else obvious to blame, and nothing else which has come out um, which you can cite off. The fact is, is it, because it's not bouncing. It shows you when you have such a fantastic current account surplus of nearly nine percent of GDP, it's great most of the time. But every now and again, that comes and bites you because um, you're dependent on your on your customer base. And if your customer base is goes through a difficult time, as China clearly is, then it's going to hit you hard.
0: So let's talk about the UK story and the prospect of a Hard Brexit, Marcus. The question Guy's exploring, I think, is an important one. A lot of people have become detached from this, just as investors, as market participants. As those of us who might enjoy theatre, it is still somewhat interesting to many people outside of Europe. Is it a mistake to discount, A, a hard Brexit, and B, what a hard Brexit would mean for global markets? Um, Okay, first
3: things first. Um, There is a chance of hard Brexit. By definition, there's no legal... um, supplement to it. Um, So until something replaces that as a statutory instrument, uh, be it May's deal or some cobbled together of a a customs union or something, which we'll see later on today, uh, if that results, which I don't think it will, but it's another story, um, then yes, I mean, a hard Brexit is still there. And it's possible at the April 10th, 11th summit that the um, European Council say that we've had enough uh, out you go. However, all the reading between the lines from than everyone's hearing is that that is never going to happen because even though people don't want distraction from the European elections and indeed their own problems that you you have which are manifold, um, that they do, really don't want to compound that by by making a hard Brexit, um, um, which would hurt Netherlands, Ireland, France, uh, and Germany very very hard, and uh, that's that it may hit the UK harder or, or you know in, in percentage terms, but nonetheless it's not not clever on anyone's side so you can't um, discount a, a, an de Brexit but I, I think it's unlikely at the moment um, that you know that's that can change as we know um, literally hour by hour.
1: Do you, just listening to what you had to say there do you still believe that Theresa May's deal can get over the line?
3: There is a, another school of thought um, which I don't believe in therefore by definition of sort of semi-half believed in, in one or two of these votes having got through beforehand. And therefore, maybe this one does get through because I don't believe it. That if the customs union proposal by Kenneth Clark, I think it's Amendment C, um, does get passed today, that that puts it in such a, a, a harsh, you know, maze deal versus this customs union, which, which includes the European Court of Justice. It includes all sorts of, you know, complete uh, lack of sovereignty over trade and uh, and all forms of future dealing for for the the, European, uh, sorry, the UK as a sovereign nation. That it's such an anathema for for enough of um, the 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 Conservatives and one or two other sets of people that maybe it gets through just because of that. Particularly the government ties in this thing called the Snell Nandy Amendment, which means that in the future the political declaration that Parliament will have a say on the trade. Trade deal.
0: Who lasts longer, Marcus? April or May? <laughs> I've just seen that on one oh, of my, yeah. my, my Facebook things. <laughs> <aren't, yeah. laughs> uh, you've always got to
3: back May. May, May she's lasted <laughs> longer than anyone could have ever possibly had. It, so you've got to... I mean April may be the cruelest month but may is yeah. the longest the longest uh, weed
0: I've got to say a client emailed me that a little bit earlier a Bloomberg subscriber and it did make me laugh uh guys you're going to be sticking with us fantastic to have you with us Marcus and great to be back with guy Johnson and I'm sorry I left you on your own for so long guy coming up on three the three much more on the data worldwide a little bit more on Europe and a whole lot more on a Stella read from China relatively speaking that's all coming up this It's Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. It has been a very strong risk on sentiment story throughout most of the global market story today. The DAX, in particular, take a look at Germany today, came through with some really weak data, but the stock market is up 1.35%. Why is that? The car sector is uh, really driving higher. Uh, and that is a China narrative uh, that is driving the European story so strongly today. You can see it in the States as well. It's up not as much, but nevertheless, a decent performance. And the CSI, uh, the CSI 300 out in China uh, was up by 2%, 2.5% overnight. Uh, over the last month, uh, it has added 7%. It's uh, That's in euro terms. It's been a very, very strong performance stabilization Marcus Ashworth is that what we're looking at in China is the the policy that we've seen going through from the government starting to work
3: <clears> hmm <throat> uh yes but no but maybe uh yes y- you could say it is because they have definitely pulled that lever uh the effects that that lever pulling which has been um less and less every time they've had a yanked on it uh, I mean, they saved the world in 2009 I don't think there's any doubt about that if China hadn't yanked on the stimulus there um, the rest of the world the developed world struggled the US UK and then subsequently Europe even though they were blind to it but you know the emerging market world and particularly Asia and, and uh, countries reliant on on China uh, was saved uh, by the by the huge stimulus that China put in uh, they had to try it again in 1516 in, in and it sort of worked but not as much this time round um they've definitely put the, the burners on but you know whether or not it has much impact we shall see i think the bigger um factor here is of course the the china u.s trade deal um even though in some sense it's a, it's a just a sop to soybean farmers or whatever it may be there's there's one or two things which 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 may seem big but are less important than, than the full relationship as far as it and how they treat uh you know the protocol and, and all, all forms of intellectual property and all forms of yeah. uh, tech stuff. So you know, in that sense, it's good news, but I wouldn't read too much into it. Just yet, you have to see this as, as a continuing trend. Yes, it looks like they've, they've stabilised. It's, it's ticking up, but um, there's much more to go. Well,
0: there's two judgement calls. Aren't the markets the first judgment call you've got to make is whether this continues, and then ultimately the second judgment call you've got to make is whether the market's already got ahead of it. So let's just assume that this is something that continues, that we get the first phase, which is the Chinese bottoming out process, then a rebound which cyclically lifts all boats. Fine, let's put that to one side. Do you think the market's already got ahead of that story, Marcus? Um,
3: again, yes, but no, but maybe I think that they've got partially ahead of it, or it's partly priced in. It's not fully priced in, as I said. This is a this is a momentum thing. If the trade deal comes behind this, and you've seen that the Chinese economy lifting up, up and it's more, more the easiest way of spotting is where the yuan is, then you will see, uh, and of course where the CSI 300 is, you will see something building on itself. I mean, there's some extraordinary stuff going on. We've seen um, massive convertible bond deals done by the largest banks, with oversubscribed by many thousands of percents. And so they literally have. Uh, got the troops, should we say, the, the, the retail accounts queuing down the street to to get in on, on the stock market rally. You know, you have to believe that the authorities are going to back this, and they can't let retail investors hold a, hold a baby here. They're going to have to keep the stock market up. They're going to have to propel the money supply, and they're going to hope that, therefore, that business comes off the back of that. That is dependent on the trade deal. So they can chuck the, uh, the, the, the stimulus into the economy, boost the money supply, Goose the stock market, but unless they've got things to sell, and it ultimately means that there's a trade deal with the US and indeed with, you know, ongoing with Europe, then it will come to now.
0: Marcus, great to have you with us. Marcus Ashworth there. Bloomberg's very own. He's going to stick with us on the big debate, I think. The fate of China, the key to asset classes for the rest of this year, not just the data and the economy, but as Marcus points out, the trade story as well. Trade talks wrapping up in Beijing last week. They'll continue this week in Washington. A little bit more on that a little bit Later in the markets, then a big rally worldwide. In the UK, we shape up as follows on the FTSE up a half of one percent on the S&P 500 as we cross through the halfway point of the trading day. The S&P 500 up eight tenths of one percent from London and New York. You're listening to the cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Well hello, Q2. What a Q1 we had for financial markets worldwide. The S&P 500 closing out the first quarter with the best quarterly gain since 2009 and kicking things off for Q2 with stocks positive at the close in London. The FTSE 100 up a half of 1% across Europe. A really decent day of gains, adding some weight to the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany. The DAX up by 1.35% on the day, even with some pretty soft European data. In fact, more than pretty soft, it was pretty terrible. Relative to a sign of improvement in China. What's interesting is the equity versus bond situation that so many of you have been talking about over the last couple of months. Treasuries yields lower, stocks, stocks higher. Can those two things coexist? How do you reconcile them? Today yields up eight basis points on a 10-year big move. 10-year yield up to 2.487%, up seven on the front end, the two-year note, the yield there. Alongside Guy and I today, Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and great to have Marcus with us. So, Marcus, let's talk about that dynamic between stocks and bonds. Some people sit here and say the bond market is telling me this. The equity market is telling me something else. How do you read the price action?
3: Well, uh, first things first, we know equities can never fall um, because we have not just – we used to have the Greenspan put and the Bernanke put, and evidently we have the Powell put – um, so, you know, because the, the Fed has gone from, um, you know, nowhere near the, uh, the neutral rate in, in October to now, uh, not just stopping hiking, but also stopping quantitative tightening and even starting to price in, um, well, the market anyways, pricing in a, a rate cut theoretically by September. So, um, that is why stocks will never drop or not substantially. If they fall 5%, you know, all of a sudden everyone's going to panic. Um. Bond markets, however, you know, it doesn't matter what happens because they always rally. Yields always fall. So uh, it's become a complete disconnect where there's no real logic to either of them. Um, why are bunt yields below 0%? There's no logical reason on the fact that the, all the world central banks own them. There's no free float. Um, they're a squeeze market. Uh, there's huge amounts, 2.6 billion um, sitting on uh, the ECB's balance sheet of, of, of government bonds and, and the like. And it's... It's a rigged market. QE has distorted all form of, of, of rationality between the two asset classes. Net, net, net. I wouldn't touch bonds with a barge pole. And equities probably will be all right. I just would avoid European ones because, it's a again, it's a, it's a market which doesn't have any form of, uh, of free float or, or, or logic to it.
1: Sorry, equity markets?
3: Um, European equity markets. All pop markets at that point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I would avoid equ- – European equities are cheap for a reason. You look at just – look at European banks. You know, the likes of your Deutsche Bank or your Comments Bank yep. versus U.S. banks, it shows you there's been value destruction. They haven't solved any of their problems, and they are not investable assets, in my humble
1: opinion. But but U.S. equities are. So you think that that if you were to kind of put together a normal portfolio at the moment, you would be overweight equity markets and underweight global bonds?
3: If you're starting from here, absolutely. You, could be, you would be literally insane to think of it any other way. You know, sure, you can invest in some short-term cash products in the States, which might pay you a bit over 2% uh, as your float. But, you know, I'm not saying US equities are cheap. They're not. But they're not cheap for a reason, equally as European equities are cheap for a reason and will stay
0: cheap. Something we come back to again and again and again and then a little bit more after that, Marcus, is the division, the spread between the valuation in Europe and the United States and the fact it comes down to two sectors, big tech sector in the United States, big banking sector in Europe, not waitings, so big anymore. Weightings are very different, granted, not so big anymore. But the weightings are very, very different, Marcus, and that explains the valuation gap, doesn't it?
3: Well, I mean, you could at one point. Uh, I remember, you know, about six months ago, Apple was pretty much the size of the entire banking sector of Europe, one company. Now, obviously, that's 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 that sharply changed as far as Apple's valuation. But nonetheless, you know, it doesn't mean that European banks have recovered, or they look like they will recover. I mean. They're talking about tinkering with with tier deposit rates because the negative forty basis points is costing the banks a little bit of money. But the reason why banks put money on deposit with the ECB is they don't trust any other banks because the interbanking market is dead, let alone the cross country one. So you know there is not a banking uh, element of any form of, of 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 logic to invest in. You know, and I understand people like private equity comes like Cerberus looking at Deutsche or comments on a, a totally different basis. There may be some some sort of diamonds in the rough here but you know really you are brave and you have to be have a very long-term perspective and really know what you're doing
1: would you have thought it was logical to be underweight bonds a year ago um well yes-ish there are always cases to think that
3: um bunts were looking um particularly um as if they might start to normalize in a relationship between a, a growing at that point a european economy at the same point um well maybe it was we had really May last year when Italy started going wobbly woo that there was an understanding that there may be a credit problem with Italy. So yes, you could argue that certainly there were, there were at that point it, it, you could easily have got head faked. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that looking back, you know, I, I could have defined it in a different way because it would have been very almost impossible to divine it, you know, until these events happened out um, of nowhere. But, you know, you could always and should always have been very careful about Italy and certainly it would have been easier to get caught out on, on, on perhaps thinking that, that German bunt yields might have risen because There's not a desperate logic in them at 50 basis points. There's clearly no logic in them below zero. But other than the fact that they are a very tightly controlled asset class, it depends how um, people panic and people require super
0: safe, secure assets and times of worry. Quick question for you, Marcus, before we have to let you go. You mentioned that depot rate, the prospect of a tiered depot rate at the ECB. If they go through that process, if they execute that idea, does that raise the prospect of another rate cut?
3: Well it is rearranging the deck chairs from the optical point of view but you know they're only going to do that for two to send two signals. one that rates are going to stay very very low as negative as they are for a very much longer period of time Because in theory, we were expecting rates to rise uh, possibly as early as October that clearly is no longer going to happen. And the second point is is yes as you've drawn that analogy maybe that means that if they can push the deeper rate up for certain uh, levels of excess reserves that by definition they can also lower for the excess excess reserves. And therefore, they got a little bit more um, uh, stimulus to put in, or, or, or certainly rate rate cutting signal there. So that would be fairly desperate um, if the ECB does that. But they need to get out their own way, give themselves some flexibility if the economy does turn again, again, because they've stopped QE just at the wrong point.
1: Mario Draghi tying his successor potentially in knots. Marcus, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Marcus Ashworth joining us from Bloomberg Opinion to give us an idea of what is happening in these markets. Uh, we are watching a recently risk-on session. Cameron cries, just pointing out that a golden cross has just happened in the US stock market. Hallelujah, we are saved. This is Bloomberg.
0: This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. It is 5.30 in the city of London. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio and all of your Bloomberg devices around the world. We're on DAB Digital Radio in the London area. We're on all of your Bloomberg devices pretty much anywhere you want us to be. Um, Let's talk about uh, what is going on. The first thing you've got to note is that... uh, we are reunited. The United States is now five hours behind London. For the last three weeks, it's only been four hours. That has caused much confusion. Uh, and also the absence of John Farrow.
0: But Mr Farrow is back, and it is, is great to have him back Is anyone confused by the, the absence show. of me?
1: Um, I think for a little while they were. Were they? Yeah. And I think a lot of people have been generally confused by the four hours, judging by kind of what has gone on for the last well, few weeks. I was weeks.
0: too, for personal reasons. Every time I called my mum... We were both very confused.
1: What time is it? What time is it there? What time is it there? You can yeah, imagine the conversations. and then conversations. we'd go back
0: and forth. What time does your radio show start? When are you on TV? <laughs> and then I'd have to fill her in every day. Cause she she likes to check it. in on you. Just wants to check in. Yeah. You know, put the Make radio sure you're on, all right. say hello, then turn it off again. Yeah. <laughs> really quickly. Really, really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> done there. that. He's shown up alive. for work. Off. <laughs> <laughs> That's how my
1: wife does it as well. She just checks in, turns it on. Yeah, this, this
0: guy actually gone to work today. He yep, is where he exactly. says he is. Yeah, yep. he is. Off. Yep, job done. Great off tool we to check up on us, isn't it? It is. Yeah, can never lie. It is. Can never you, you... pretend to be at work. Yeah, that would
1: be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> that that cheeky day off is never ever <laughs> going Then go happen. to the
0: golf club.
1: Yeah. Oh, what dreams are made. We we need to we need to figure out a better plan. Um. So Mr Farrow is back and also Mr Pellet is back which means also we now have news updates which is fantastic
2: And here's what's going on We've got momentum building in the House of Commons in favour of the softest of Brexit models after the opposition Labour and Scottish national parties both said they would order their members of Parliament to back it Freezing, cannabis, uh, freezing temperatures didn't stop about 40 people from lining up outside the first legal cannabis store to open in Canada's largest city. Nearly six months after the country legalized recreational pot, the name of the store, The Honey Pot Cannabis Company. And Lyft shares started trading last Friday in the highest profile stock sale so far this year. Hasn't taken long for the doubters to show up in the equity market. Shares now trading below their IPO price of $72 a share, down by roughly 11%. Right now, analysts highlighting a number of concerns about how fast the ride-sharing company can start making money. That's the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. The perennial problem. Charlie Pellet. thank you very much.
0: For our listeners in London, the next couple of minutes is actually going to be very useful for you for your next visit to New York. Vincent Signorello dropping by the studio, Bloomberg's very own. Now, for, for our tourists out there that come to New York and believe that the best Italian food is in a place called Little Italy, downtown in Manhattan, you are wrong. It is in Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. Vince, do we call you a Bronxonian? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess. It's, you, um, did you just make that up? I think he did. What, the Arthur Avenue stuff? No, the Bronxonia. No, the, Brinks, the, Brinks, the Bronxonia. Oh, no, definitely just made that up. Don't know if okay. it's real or not. Okay. but the Arthur to a- know if a thing or not. The Arthur Avenue thing is real. It, okay. is, it is the best place for Italian food. And I went there Saturday, Vincent. It was fantastic.
4: Yeah, that's where I grew
0: up. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I had some great cannoli. And the secret to great cannoli, as every Italian knows, if you go to buy cannoli and at the bakery you buy it from, if it's already been filled, walk out. It should not be filled before you buy it. What you want is the beautiful crispy shell, then you want to choose the shell you want and then they're going to fill it. And then you walk away with it. No soggy cannoli. You do not want, you do not want a soggy cannoli. Guy Johnson, for your next trip, we'll go to Arthur Avenue. I'm hungry already. In the Bronx. Yeah. We've had a great meal. Just fantastic, Vince. There
4: there are so many different kind of foods there and it's um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the
0: bread from Philadelphia. Why do, why do, they, why do they go downtown, downtown Manhattan? I, you know, it's it's just
4: traditional, right? So people hear Little Italy and it's in Manhattan. I guess if you're visiting New York City and I, you're already the, in the, Manhattan, it's 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 a short. It's got ride. Italy
1: in the title. That's why people go, I guess. I,
4: I guess. It's actually what, you know, if you wanted to do anything and you're in that area, it borders Chinatown. And you go to get good Chinese before you'd go to get Italian food.
0: I would anyway. Good dim sum. And mm-hmm. I've got a good place too, really good place. It's oh, just so. like a canteen. Really, I yeah. You just sort of that. like you know, no real entrance. You just sort of open the doors. And <laughs> it's just just massive. It's just like a canteen. They just bring round trays of stuff that I don't know what it is, and then you just pick some. People and are you know. writing this stuff down right now. Well, I haven't got the name of the dim sum place to hand. I, I can get that for our listeners if someone reaches out to me. I can come up with a whole list. A culinary experience in New York. You've done the experience now. Okay, should we get to the markets? I'm hungry, yes.
1: (laughs) Vince. I'm starving now. This is ridiculous.
0: Everyone got Q1 so wrong for the US dollar. What's the best framework, the best prism through which to view foreign exchange for 2019? Oh, wow. Because That's rate really differentials ain't working. No, yeah, and
4: you know what I was just going to say. Don't look at rate differentials. It really is just one of the factors that moves FX. And you know, it, it's interesting when I when I do shows like this or I talk to people in, in Bloomberg News, um, they they don't they. FX traders always sort of get marked down a little bit when compared to equity guys and bond guys. But when you're an FX trader, you really need to know just about every market, metals, commodities, bonds, equities, just the whole thing. Because interest rate differentials really are just a small piece of the pie. And going into 2019, I think people overestimated the growth story in Europe, overestimated the or underestimated the, the growth story or the lack of growth in China and once again thought emerging markets were going to be the place to be. And not looking at the real growth differentials in the economic world and looking at just the interest rate differentials, that's where they missed the ball.
1: Okay, here's my question. And John, let's kind of of pick it up where you you kind of brought us in here. Did, Did anybody get foreign exchange wrong in the last quarter? Because in many ways... Foreign exchange was – if you look at what happened in the last quarter, you saw kind of equity markets, particularly some of the kind of Asian equity markets shooting to the moon. U.S. equity markets did well.
4: Uh, The bond market, obviously, we saw a massive move. I.
1: I just thought the the FX market went to sleep in the last quarter.
4: It, it, it did. Vala in the FX market was lower than in the other spaces. So where the FX story was a bit of a big story for 2018, it's been of a sleeper going into 2019, especially with the the um, developed nations. Um, and the place to be was in equities and the place to be was in bonds.
0: Just looking at euro dollar right now, though, given the fact that we've had more weak data out of Europe and still it can't squeeze any more euro weakness out of this that just seems to be the story that the path of least resistance is getting pretty tough to say that it's lower
4: well you know the euro dollar is just i mean when you when you trade euros it's such a thick market you know there's so many currencies now one currency there's so many players involved the volumes are so high it takes really a lot to move the euro dollar a, a, a momentous sort of news Result really just moving it on volume and flow is is not the same as, you know, trading an emerging market currency, for instance. So
1: but that's what they kind of that's what they always
4: wanted. That was the part of the point. Yeah, and they got it. I mean, the euros, the the I mean, in in the days of old, moving the French franc or the Italian lira was really not a great great lift um, and he, even the Deutschmark at times wasn't such such a, a, a hard chore but putting all of those markets together has made it a very thick thick market and so the vol is not what it is in
0: other places did you buy into the lift IPO Vince
4: no oh, I wouldn't touch that just wanted a contrarian <laughs> signal
0: from you uh, for the next segment all <laughs> equity trades going on <laughs> went, went public on Friday not doing so well on Monday that conversation's next you're listening to the cable This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. It is 5.40 in the it's in the city of London. Uh, if I can get that out. Uh, you're listening to the cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio and all of your Bloomberg devices. So as John was saying just a couple of minutes ago, Lyft went public Friday. Um, Saw a decent pop, like a really quite a decent pop. In in fact, the third biggest pop we've seen uh, in terms of some of these tech IPOs. It's not taken long. Stocks now trading sub 70 uh, over the last couple of minutes. Uh, so we've had a big down day today. Um, Vince Signorella is, is with John in the studio over in New York. So, guys, I was on Friday trying to get, I think it was, it was Joe Wisenthal and Sarah Ponzek. The, the two um, IPOs that kind of, in terms of their pop on day one that sit above Lyft are Alibaba and Snap. Now, since the, the respective IPOs, Baba has tripled in value and Snap has lost a third. Which one of those do we think Lyft is more akin to? Vince Signorella.
4: Well, it's played out like Snap at the moment, and I think when you're looking at a company that um, generates about $2.2 billion in revenue and is not the number one in their market and loses $900 million, um, they've got a ways to go before profitability, and they're going to have to convince investors that that's without the massive marketing and general administration, administrative costs that they um, spend, that they can do so.
0: I think they've got massive challenges. In the years ahead if you think about what the transport sector is like for the likes of Lyft right now ride hailing okay ride sharing Vince we'd say there's only two players right we'd say Lyft and Uber
4: those are the more popular names but there are a, a bunch but of most other people small would say ones it's,
0: it's, it's almost a duopoly it's Lyft yeah. and it's Uber fine for, for the single ride space I, take, right now yeah I'll take all of that that's fine but let's think about where this industry is going this inter- industry is going towards automation or autonomous driving Then you've got a completely different set of competitors. Think about who your competitors are then. so the likes of Google, Waymo, companies with much, much deeper pockets Mm -hmm. competing with the likes of Lyft. So if you're worried about their ability to make money right now from this business model, take that one step further and think about the amount of money that needs to be invested in this company to make it competitive in the transport sector, not of today, not of tomorrow, but the transport sector in five years' time. And I I really struggle to get my head around the idea that they can do this alone without a dance partner. And this this also guy applies to the likes of Uber as well. So this for me isn't about where this industry Uber, is. Uber's right a bit now. broader,
1: I think. But yeah, I take your point.
0: This is this is the industry of five years time. Yeah. And and I just wondered this is a classic case of of an industry that stayed in private markets maybe a little bit too long before it came to public markets for you to really capture that growth story because I think we've got to the limitations of of what this industry is before it becomes something quite different in the coming years.
1: So here's my – why has – we all know this, okay? Everybody's read the prospectus. Everybody knows what the business model looks like. Everybody understands what the the, um, technology story is going to be. Why on earth did that stock pop as much as it did on day one? What are these – clearly people are making a turn on it. But I don't know where the kind of the, the, the next buyer comes from, because everybody must understand this. Um, yes, you're going to have some people coming in and having to have this in their portfolios because of their mandate. But nevertheless, I, I am struggling to understand why this has come to market and been priced in the way that it is.
0: First for growth. And also, it doesn't mean, look, the challenges are big. It doesn't I, mean they yeah. fail. I mean, if, if someone looks at this company yeah. right now, I think there's a strong argument to make that this kind of company could be a good acquisition target. For some of the big it's friends. too
1: expensive now though. No, but but they've just come out with this really poppy price and this really this really kind of um this toppy valuation which makes it really difficult for that to happen, don't you think?
4: I, I think so. And I think it's going to, if you're anyone who's nervous about this, you're, you're an Uber executive, seeing what's happened to the Lyft price, how do you price your IPO going forward? I mean, it's it, it's not comforting in, in any way, shape, or form. But I think John's John's got a very good point. I think this is a, a company that's going to combine with something down the road because, in and of itself, it. Why would it, you bother
0: I, though? Why, I, that's the bit I don't understand. But well, for the technology. You've got to think about how this was priced when it came to market. It lifted the range. And then priced at the top of an elevated range too. Maybe someone got a bit too greedy. I just think that's the word. (laughs) Yeah. Coming up on the programme, much more on the week ahead. Big week ahead. It rounds up and concludes with Payrolls Friday. That conversation's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is the cable live across the capital on DAB digital radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Pleased to be back with Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Ferro to whip you through the price action as we begin at Q2 and we begin the trading week two. Futures were positive across the United States going into the open. Stocks had a nice pop too, up nine tenths of one percent. The data in China really decent relative to the horrible data in Europe. The data in the United States a little bit better than expected as well. The ISM. U.S. factory, manufacturing output reading, pretty decent. Across Europe, it means a stronger close. The FTSE 100 up a half of 1%. The DAX up by 1.35% in the FX market. Dollar weakness to start the day a little bit of dollar strength as the day progresses as the session grows older the euro is weaker euro dollar down a tenth of 1% in the bond market some curve steepness coming through the treasury curve yields up 9 basis points on a 10 year to 2.496% much has been made of that inversion between the 3 month treasury bill and the 10 year bond in the United States, I can say we no longer have that unversion. The uh, three-month Treasury bill now yields 237. The US 10-year now yields 249. So we've got about 10 basis points spread between the two now, and I think around about 10 basis points on the day, just in terms of the move. So that gives you an idea of just how big this move is in the Treasury market at the moment. All of this off the back of the economic data, and this week is a big week for the data. We've had the Chinese... PMI. We've had the European numbers and we've had a read of US activity as well. Tomorrow, we will get March auto sales in the United States, durable goods orders too. We'll also get Eurozone unemployment and inflation as well. Wednesday, remember last week we had the US delegation go over to Beijing for trade talks. This week, the delegation from China will be coming over to Washington for trade talks. That delegation includes the Chinese Vice Premier Liu He. And then on Thursday, US jobless claims the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index too. Then on Friday the main event US payrolls uh, the main event for Vince Signorella very different I haven't had the opportunity to say to him congratulations on your recent engagement sir you, you know I did this almost 40 years ago and I'm doing it again did you do it on radio though I didn't the,
4: do it on radio. You no. you go. congratulations
0: <laughs> and I've, I've met the future mrs. Signorella to be and she's fantastic thank you so I'm very happy for you Charlie met her too yes and Charlie <laughs> thought she was a little bit more than fantastic <laughs> And we, we walked out of the studio, Vince and I did at the end of a show, and saw Charlie trying to chat up Vince's girlfriend. How did that go? Hey, for
4: Charlie, not very
0: well. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, and, when we, and when we caught him uh, and, and mentioned what uh, we thought he was doing, um, that was the first time I've ever seen Charlie speechless. <laughs> he was speechless. <laughs> he was totally. He? He, wow. was, he was he, confounded. He doors, was doors closed. Speechless.
0: Yes. So, um, when's the wedding?
4: Uh, most likely early next year. We
0: haven't set a date. Okay. Yet. Can we bring the radio with us? I uh, yeah. <laughs> you If you want to, maybe we I'm can. I'm just get... looking for an excuse to come for the food. <laughs>
1: yeah. He's already anticipating that, Pasta. It's going to be well, a high-end wedding.
0: The, the, the funny thing that you mentioned
4: uh, Arthur Avenue today, in my first wedding, which was many, many years ago, my grandmother, still alive at the time, popped into one of the meat market stores on that avenue uh which was uh, actually doing the catering for my wedding and she made sure that the <laughs> filet mignon that they were going to bring to the wedding was
0: exactly the way she wanted it cut and it uh, it was perfect that is fantastic um something else that's fantastic what's going on in the house of commons guy um, so
1: what we understand is that eleven people have just been ejected from the public oh, gallery. What have um, they done? We understand that it, there may have been some nudity involved it's in the nudity protest. Nudity
0: in the House of Commons.
1: A topless <laughs> protest may topless have been taking place. protest.
0: What were, were they, still, we're, we're were still they trying remainers to, or Brexiteers? Well,
1: that, the, these are the details that are still being uh, that are still being sorted out. We're trying to get to the bottom of it.
0: Quite literally, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm fascinated just to find out if they are pro Remain or pro
1: Brexit. Top to the bottom. Let me let me dig in. I'm on various kind of uh, various lists, so I'm trying to I'm trying to determine.
0: Everyone's uh, going to have some exactly. good fun with that. Oh. Some light-hearted humour after the uh, the events in yeah. the last few years uh, needed for everyone, I think. That, I,
4: that may be the most popular thing that's happened in the House of Commons all year.
0: Uh, I've got a picture.
1: Yeah, it, they are they are closed. But topless, Clothes, I can but topless. count. Okay. I can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm looking at a picture. Uh, I'm going to send this to you, John. But yeah, they're standing on the kind of the balcony, fully clothed. Uh, sorry, fully uh, undressed, apart from their underwear. Okay. And I think it. I can see a stop written on one gentleman's chest. So I'm assuming this is a stop Brexit protest.
0: Or stop negotiating and hard exit, maybe. <laughs> Who knows?
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna ping you, John Ferro. The, Are you gonna send me the picture? Uh, I'm gonna send you the picture right now. One of those your... times where we
0: really don't want photos on radio. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think this is probably all for the best. So I'm sending to this this to you right now. I'm sure anybody on Twitter will be able to find this, uh, but it is there. Um, yeah, these people have now been ejected, so we've 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 cleared the public gallery. Um, and yeah, a, an, an Extinction Rebellion activist strip off in the House of Commons public gallery to call attention to the elephant in the room. Actually, it's not a Brexit. I'm now reading the details. It's not a Brexit um, demonstration. It is a climate and ecological crisis, oh. of which Brexit may be included. I'm not entirely sure. But what's yes, what's this April is not 15th a Brexit got process. to do with that? I don't know, but it's April the 1st today, isn't it?
0: So what so happens in two weeks? April it says April 15th day. on his chest.
1: I need to get the bigger picture up. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to work out. Stop. Exactly. What? What's, what's it going? say? I thought it said stop. Oh, my picture won't work. Anyway, all I'm saying is that you don't often to see this in the House of Commons.
0: I'm very confused by this. There's a lot of confused people in the gallery too. They've they've all gone. They've all been taken out. They've all
1: been thrown out of the uh, of the House of Commons. I you, you, you occasionally see this at football games. You don't expect this in British it's very politics. Very interesting but, garments. But, but the on two show here. are. Are you going to tweet this out to the wider audience, John?
0: No, in fact, maybe I will.
1: <laughs> what does Vince Cinderella make of this? This is what British politics has come to. I, you know,
0: I, like I said, it's the
4: it's the most of all the Brexit and all the talk of, in the last two and a half years. That's the most
0: fun thing I've seen. Come then we got out. a bit derailed today. We're meant to do payrolls <laughs> to close out the show. I'm fascinated by this picture, Vince. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great to catch up with you. Pleasure, John. Guy, great Guy. to be back with you, yeah, sir. Yeah. Great week ahead too. Full coverage, I promise. We'll bring you a little bit of payrolls <laughs> along the way, and perhaps a whole lot. Full coverage, this. <laughs> full coverage, <laughs> quite literally, <laughs> from New York and London. This is Bloomberg Radio.